This episode of Hearsay is sponsored by the Wheels of Justice, a partnership against cancer, benefiting the Children's Colorado Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders. For more information, visit wheelsofjusticecycling.org. How might Konstantin Stanislavski, the greatest acting teacher in modern history, coach a lawyer on writing a motion to dismiss? I sat down with Joe Daniels, a business litigator and theater buff, to talk about how acting theory can apply to litigation. Sure, people can use acting techniques in the courtroom to convey stage presence, strong diction, and memorable storytelling in front of a jury. But what about everything leading up to the trial? Joe says that his theater education has helped him understand how to make a focused, persuasive case from beginning to end, even if he doesn't always get to quote-unquote perform that case in front of a jury. I'm Doug Chartier, and this is Hearsay from Law Week, Colorado. A fundamental concept that Stanislavski was trying to, or came up with, was asking, why is my character doing this? I still, from the outset, try to come up with a, a super objective, kind of the why question. And it, it boils down to, at the outset, saying, okay, you know, what is a win for my client? And how do we get there? First, a bit about Joe. He's a member in Sherman and Howard's trial group in Denver. He handles a variety of business disputes involving intellectual property, fraud, business tort, and unfair competition, among other issues. In his 10 years of practice, Joe's had enough success that he's been named to Colorado's super lawyer since 2015 and as a fellow in the American Bar Foundation last year. But he didn't figure he'd become a lawyer when he was growing up in Chicago. In college, I decided to be a theater major. And you know, that was my primary focus in college. It was a liberal arts college. I mean, it took a little bit of everything. Um, but most of my work was in theater. And, you know, through most of college, that's what I thought I was going to do. After getting his bachelor's, Joe eventually landed a gig building sets and working behind the scenes at the Goodman Theater in Chicago. But working in the theater scene is a whole other animal from studying theater. And Joe decided he couldn't commit his whole life to it. He switched careers and got a clerical job at a law firm in Chicago where he assisted a trademark lawyer. It piqued his interest to actually see what goes on behind the scenes at a law firm and how it's different from lawyering on TV. He then relocated to Missoula, Montana, where he became a paralegal. Before he made the decision to attend law school at the University of Iowa, law had appealed to Joe in many of the same ways that theater did. And what I've always enjoyed, whether it's acting, directing, or even doing more technical work behind the, behind the scenes, what I've always enjoyed about theater is every play is different in that you're always learning something new. So you, you always start, you get a script, you know, that script has a backstory. It's set in a certain time period. It's about a certain issue. And part of the process is you learn about that world. And then you apply, whether it's your acting techniques, your directing techniques, you apply that to the story in that play. I think that's what really appealed to me about doing theater, that it wasn't stale, it was always changing. And I think when I was working with, with trial lawyers, I, I realized it's the same in their world. I mean, every case is different, even if you're working in the same industries or with the same businesses. You know, the facts, the circumstances, the issues are always somewhat different. And you're always having to learn new things about how 
businesses work, um, and then applying your legal and trial skills to that case. And I think that's what I really enjoy about both of them. But there was a moment when Joe was a paralegal at the Missoula firm of Garlington, Lawn, and Robinson where drama and trial lawyering really clicked for him. He was up late one night labeling a set of documents to prepare them for trial. He'd left a stack of copies of the documents on the trial lawyer's desk and left for the night. That lawyer let him have it the next day. And I come back in the next day, and I'm just walking through the hallway, and comes out of his office and just, you know, waving a piece of paper in his hand, just staring at me, saying, Joe, get over here. I'm like, what? He's like, do you see this? I'm like, what? He's just showing me this random piece of paper. And he's pointing to the, the corner of the paper. He says, do you see this? I'm like, yeah, what, what's the problem? I'm trying to think, am I covering up part of the text? Like, I don't see what the, the issue is. And I'm like, is this an important document? And he's like, well, no, this is not an important document, but it's going to become an important document. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, the Bates label is askew. And at this point, I'm like, all right, this guy is nuts. Like, so what? It's at a slightly, you know, at an angle. Who cares? And he's like, Joe, we are defending, uh, a, I think it was like a, a lab that made contact lenses in a, you know, a product liability type dispute. The plaintiffs are accusing us of basically being sloppy, cutting corners, unprofessional. And so I can tell you, when we get into court and we're in trial, doesn't matter what this document says. But the plaintiff's lawyers are going to throw this up on a big screen and make it seem like this document is somehow important because what they hope the jury sees is a messy Bates label. Because that shows them that our client does cut corners. They are sloppy. And everything we do in this case, we have to be precise because that's the image. You know, that's the story we need to present to the jury, that our client is professional. They do things you know, very carefully, um, and this doesn't help us. And, and at that moment, you know, not probably at that moment, I'd probably walk back to my desk still upset and like, why is this guy yelling at me? But eventually clicked to me that, ah, I get what he's saying. Like, that's how a trial works. It's not just about the law or uh, just the simple facts of the case, but there really is a story. You're really trying to convey a message in it infuses everything you do in a case. You're, you're never not on stage when you're putting on a case because everything could kind of either, whether it's a judge or the jury, could send a message to them about the story of your case, and you want to make sure it always lines up. Do you hear that? You're never not on stage when you're putting on a case. This might sound familiar if you've ever taken drama in high school or college. The art of theater prior to the 1800s was dominated by stock characters. Flat stereotypes everyone could instantly recognize by the way they looked, talked, and behaved. We still see stock characters today in movies, like the jock or the nerd in teen slasher flicks. But by the 19th century, you saw plays relying less on stock characters to tell a story. Realist playwrights like Henrik Ibsen, Anton Chekhov, and the 20th century Americans like Arthur Miller and Eugene O'Neill, who were among Joe's favorites, focused their plays on characters with complex inner lives. So the old methods of performing that helped actors play stereotypes weren't working so much anymore. Enter Konstantin Stanislavski. This guy, Konstantin Stanislavski, out of Russia. Uh, really wanted to, to move away from that. He, he wanted characters with more realism, 
real credible characters that you truly believed who they were on the stage and they were unique on the stage. They weren't stock characters. And so he developed his own acting theory that eventually kind of got called the Stanislavski system. And it's pretty much the basis for most modern acting techniques and theories today. There's now various or different variations, but that, that's kind of the bedrock. What most people recognize as method acting came from the Stanislavski system, like how actors like Marlon Brando or Daniel Day-Lewis inhabited their roles so completely that they famously refused to break character under most circumstances. But that's just one part of an entire system the Russian acting teacher popularized. One of the things that really made the Stanislavski system unique was he really was one of the first actors to focus on the kind of the inner process of developing a character. That's through what Stanislavski called the super objective and the through line of action. The super objective is the overarching goal in the play that the character wants more than anything to achieve. The through line of action is how the actor links everything their character thinks and does to that goal. A fundamental concept that Stanislavski was trying to, or came up with, was asking, you know, why is my character doing this? You know, why are they saying these words? Why are they acting this way? Why are they interacting with this person? Constantly having your character ask the question, why, to give a motivation to help create a credible, believable character on the stage. You can use the super objective to summarize an entire play or an individual character you're playing, asking, what does my character want? Let's see how this works with a character every lawyer knows, from To Kill a Mockingbird. Let's take a character like, like Atticus Finch, especially for us lawyers, we might look at it and say, well, I guess maybe his super objective would be, you know, I want to defend Tom Robinson. Because uh, that's obviously a big part of the, the script, is his defense of that character, and certainly it would help uh, help us understand a lot of the motivations he has, either in the book or the, the movie or play, however you want to look at To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, but I think it still leaves a lot of pieces out. So maybe a better super objective for him would be, you know, I want to teach my daughter about compassion, fairness, and justice. Uh, slightly different than the other one. They certainly overlap. But I think it helps explain other parts of the story, such as, um, you know, Atticus is explaining to Scout, you know, you don't really ever understand someone until you walk in their shoes. Or Atticus's decision to let Scout talk to the angry mob. And that doesn't necessarily fit in with his defense of Tom, but it's helping teach his daughter about why he's defending Tom. And so that's kind of how in, in acting it works. If you have a motivation, you have a consistency in your character, that helps the audience believe your character. And, and I think the same then comes in, in with, with trial work. Because at the end of the day, that's what you want. You want a judge or a jury to believe your side of the case. What you're saying um, is the believable story, not the other side. Now, let's say you wanted to apply the Stanislavski system to a new case. How do you figure your super objective to encompass everything you want to accomplish for your client? It's not always easy or obvious, Joe says. I still, from the outset, try to come up with a, a super objective, kind of the why question. And it 
it boils down to at the outset saying, okay, you know, what is a win for my client and how do we get there? And the win isn't just what we want to win the case. I mean, it really is a matter of taking your client, you know, you know, what is their business or, or who are they and what is their problem? What, what is happening to them that they're, you know, coming to a litigator? I mean, sometimes it might be simple. I've been sued. Uh, but obviously they might be the plaintiff in the case or they might be worried they're going to get sued. There's lots of reasons why they might come to a litigator for, for help. So it's understanding, okay, what's your problem? And then the win is really what, what remedy is going to help them? It, it might be damages. It might be avoiding damages. It might be injunctive relief. But it's, it's looking at that situation from the outset and saying, okay, what – What's going to help my client solve their problem, you know, win this case for them based on their unique circumstances? And once you have that in mind, I think it's so important to get that at the outset. It might change during the case, but at least at the outset, having that type of super objective concept in mind. And then you start going into the through line of action, which is, all right, now, you know, are we, okay, we're going to file a complaint. You know, how does... Um, our complaint in terms of the claims we bring, when we bring them, how we bring them, the facts we allege, how do those all fit into our super objective or, you know, same with on a, a defense side? Um, you know, how do we do our answer? Do we file a motion to dismiss? You know, again, does that fit into a super objective? In the Stanislavski system, it's not enough to have your super objective figured out, but you also have to constantly be asking whether your character is following it with the through line of action. In his book, An Actor Prepares, Stanislavski conveys his theories on acting through the diary of a fictional drama student studying under a director. The director tells his class a story of an actress he'd worked with who seemed to have lost her touch. Her performances no longer had bursts of inspiration, but instead became perfunctory, and she lost her ability to enchant an audience. The director diagnosed the actress's problem. She had a super objective for her character, but she wasn't following a through line of action. Without that, all of the other components of her acting technique weren't working, and she was going through the motions. If you play without the through line of action, he says to her, you are merely going through certain disjointed exercises of parts of the system. He then tells her, That is why the splendid bits of your role have produced no effect. Break up a beautiful statue, and the small scraps of marble cannot be overwhelming in their effect. Joe says following the through line of action in the case can keep a trial lawyer focused on the big picture and taking steps in the litigation that makes sense. Otherwise, they just risk going through the motions, so to speak. You know, take a case, your client has been sued, and it's a breach of contract dispute. And you've, you've kind of analyzed the issues, you look at what happened, and you realize, okay, for us, for our client to defend and win this case, what we really need to show is this interpretation of the contract. How we're interpreting it, how we're implying it is correct. And if we can get the judge to see that, then we should be able to defend off most of those claims. So the complaint gets filed and you might say, well, okay, it's a breach of contract case. We don't necessarily disagree with a lot of the facts in the, in the complaint. Why don't we do a motion to dismiss? You know, the judge, it's a contract interpretation. The, the judge can decide it as a matter of law. However, that might not be your 
best option. Because maybe if you file the motion and try to get the judge to interpret the contract based just on the pleadings in the complaint, which might not be super favorable to you, the judge ends up interpreting the contract the other way. Now you're stuck with that interpretation for the rest of the case. You might be better off holding off, just answering the complaint, waiting until summary judgment when you've had more opportunity to build in some extra facts to then present your argument to the court so the court will better understand it. Just like the actress and the actor prepares, the litigator's talent doesn't count for much if the audience, in this instance the judge, doesn't have a consistent read on the case they're making. Thinking about how all of the pieces fit together makes them each more coherent and persuasive, just like it does for the actor on stage, Joe says. Oftentimes in litigation, you know, there's so many little battles along the way, you know, dispositive motions, discovery motions, and you could have, you know, a, a, a wonderfully written, well-articulated, you know, motion for summary judgment or motion to compel, and they have no effect. You, you end up losing the motions because I think a lot of times what happens is you're focused on just that individual piece of the case, and you're not thinking about, well, how does that piece fit into the larger story of the case? We all take perspectives from our hobbies or even former careers that help us understand our current work. Applying acting theory to litigation isn't something Joe invented, but merely something that clicked with him along the way as he's worked on cases. Senior trial attorneys have taught him the importance of creating an overall theme in a case and how every part of a case should point back to that theme. That's not new either. Stanislavski's system is just the way Joe understands that focused storytelling approach that effective trial lawyers use. And everyone has their own analogy for litigation. I had a, a lawyer I worked with who you know, was once kind of explaining to me his theory of view in a case, and he did more defense work. And you know, he, he compared it to golf. You know, he said, you know, in golf, you always want to start at the tee and work your way backwards to see where, how you want to line up your shots. And so I kind of view the cases the same way. I start you know, at the 10th circuit. Assuming my client loses and we have to appeal, and we end up before the Tenth Circuit, what are the legal arguments we're going to win on and work backwards from there to make sure that those arguments, assuming we have to go there, are set up for the Tenth Circuit so if all else fails, we win at the appellate level. I mean, it's the same basic concept, so it's, you know, I think it's something a lot of lawyers always use. I just feel the for me, the Stanislavski way of looking at it can help me put the pieces together and help me kind of shape how I approach cases. I asked Joe if he ever sees himself returning to theater someday, whether it's acting, directing, or working behind the scenes. It's a possibility, he says. But as a lawyer raising three small kids, it'll be a long time before he can work on any stage productions. They're very time-consuming. Uh, it's not something you can kind of dabble your, your feet in and say, oh, I'll just do this little small part to stay involved. I mean, it, again, it's similar to, to trial work. It's, you know, if you're in it, you're in it. I'm Doug Chartier for Hearsay. This episode was produced by Julia Cardi and Scott Hicken with story editing by Tony Flesser. 
Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud.